podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a Friday night edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. I'm your host, Keon Subani, joined by Matt Wilsey here tonight on a rare Friday night postgame podcast. And wow, Real Madrid really trying to grind it out in an ugly game. And it's the 78th minute. The team is about to drop a couple points. We lost our best player. And Jude, mother effing Bellingham, comes good, scores another goal. His fourth in three games, the first player to score four goals in three games since Cristiano Ronaldo, that is in the Real Madrid jersey, in the 2009-2010 season. And we are going to break it all down. Again, a very grind-out game and not a pretty one, but a W nonetheless. Matt Wiltsy is here. Matt, how are you? Hey, Ken. Doing well, yeah. Grind out victory, but we'll take it. Three away wins in a row. That's how you start the season. I think we did the same thing last year because we had to do the same thing uh, with the Barnabas renovations. And so uh, that's no easy feat, especially to start the season. There's always can be like a banana skin or a game that maybe you should have won and then you ultimately draw like this one. I could have seen it easily happening. And uh, no, we've, we've gotten three successive away victories. So good good starting base. Good starting base. I mean, look, after last season, obviously, it all went to shit after the World Cup. You hope that we can sustain it. There are obvious, valid question marks about how we can sustain this, given the circumstances and given that right now the, the man bailing us out is not a striker and we don't even know how much he can sustain it because he's doing other things on the field. But, hey, one game at a time, you need a W no matter how ugly it is. And we got three in a row and we go back to the Bernabeu soon to play. Uh, a very physical, let's put it that way, Getafe, without Vinicius Jr. We'll get to all that. Um, Matt, we can go back all the way to the starting lineup. There are a lot of interesting talking points in this game, by the way, despite it being a low-scoring game. But well, let's take it back to the starting lineup. Um, no surprises there? Pretty much what we've come to expect in the last couple games? Yeah, I mean, Carlo has kind of sent a message with these first three games. And even you could argue uh, the Classico in Dallas in that this has been his midfield, the four young guys, the diamond, and it's the four young guys. It's Cruz and Modric on the bench. Not one of the two, not both, but uh, starting, but both on the bench. And I think that's a huge statement from Carlo Ancelotti. And he's sticking with it uh, despite, I mean, it's it's gone well. And even today's game, obviously, he had to call on the two veterans, but... I think it's I think it's something he clearly thought about prior to the season, something he decided in his head that, okay, this is the year at least where I'm going to start the season not playing the two greatest midfielders, arguably two of the greatest midfielders in club history. Uh, I think it's inarguable, probably. <laughs> I mean, but... But but regardless, I mean, the point still stands. I mean, we had a lot of questions about this in the offseason. And, and I wondered myself, like, I was really questioning, like, if they're in the squad, will, will Carlo just be tempted to play them, even if they don't necessarily merit it? And um, I would say that I, I also said in the summer, like, you have to give Carlo the benefit of the doubt. One, it's possible Modric and Cruz just like are really good and and they should be on the field anyway. And or um, we have to give benefit of the doubt to Carlo because he has played different styles of football with younger 
versions of Cruz and Modric and also just other midfielders in the squad. And Bellingham was an opportunity for him to do that and deviate away from some of the more conservative stuff we saw last season. So uh, Carlo has stuck with it. And the only time he deviated from it and so far in the very early three games, which could mean nothing again, it, it could all change. It's way too early to come up with definitive conclusions at this point. But um, Kamavinga had a bit of a knock in the second game and Cruz started over him. But I think we can start from the beginning. A very eventful start to the game, Matt, where um, Celta had a goal disallowed. So right off the bat, welcome to La Liga Kepa. I'm very curious to get your thoughts on that entire sequence. Um, specifically, like we'll talk about the penalty and whether it should have been a penalty or not. I mean, uh, the goal, whether it should have been ruled out or not. But Kepa was really crucified for the decision to punch the corner away. And I'm just curious where you are on that. Like, should he have stood on his line? Should he have just not come out at all? Like, what what was he doing wrong there specifically? I don't have so much of an issue with the decision to punch. I think where he punched it and how far he punched it, I think, was more of an issue. He punched it centrally. Goalkeepers are always taught to punch it wide to less dangerous areas. And he didn't punch it that far. It just got to the top of the box. Like, usually you punch it high and wide. Um, and so that's more of the issue. And it just felt like it wasn't just this sequence. It was multiple sequences in the match where it just feels like he he gets out-muscled. And when strikers get in his face or a player gets in his face, it's like physically he feels – it. he doesn't fill me with confidence. Like he feels kind of like he goes down easy. He looks for fouls. And I don't know. There were moments like even even on that goal that was disallowed – Yes, it was actually a really nice goal and a little subtle touch. Uh, I think it's from Larson. Mm-hmm. But it just felt like Keppel was really slow to react. He, he didn't react that fast. And in real time, it looked it looked like Keppel's fault. Then you go back and watch the replay, and you're like, oh, okay, it's actually a good goal. But I still think to myself, like, I don't know that he reacted that quickly. Like, it wasn't like a snap reaction. And that's where... Um, I don't know. I came into the game like I've I think I've been more like you. I've been more bullish about Keppa and think, hey, he won't like people are over exaggerating kind of his quality and stuff like that. But after today's game, I don't know. I came away a little bit more. He didn't. There were so many moments where he did not fill me with confidence. And I just felt like, oh, yeah, I've seen this. Now I remember I've seen this with Chelsea before. And I had more of those moments rather than like. Oh yeah, this guy is, this guy will be fine for a year. Okay, well, just to clarify, also, like I, it's not that I, I thought he was a world class keeper. You bring in and everything's perfect. I, yeah, you know, yeah. my my stance was that you lost Courtois. It's not easy to replace him so late in the transfer window. This was a one year loan with no commitment to buy. It's it's fine. Him and yeah. Luna, like I, I, it's it's hard to come up with a better solution than that. But I also knew that there were going to be challenges with it. I also knew that he was probably going to make mistakes, but I also know that he's probably going to have some great saves this season. Is, 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 and he, he had a good season at Chelsea last season, all things considered. Um, I don't know. Like today, I thought the overall all reaction against him was a little bit over the top. Um, so the first 
the first the first sequence like you can say like okay he should have maybe stood his line or shouldn't have gone for the punch or maybe punched it somewhere else okay um the the goal was correctly disallowed there was a tug on the shirt even if it was soft or whatever um there was another one where i think this one might be the one you alluded to in terms of his ability to command the ball in the box and claim it where he goes, and I think it was Larson again. Larson, yeah. very eventful Larson game. He yeah. had five shots, a disallowed goal, a foul on Kepa. Um, so I think it was Larson who just kind of hits him in the air and Kepa falls. And the ESPN commentators were like, Courtois would have commanded that and claimed that. I'm like, dude, he literally got fouled. Like, he's getting checked midair. Like, he's he, he goes to catch it in the air. Someone hits him and he falls. Like, I'm not sure, like... I just felt like a little bit too forced. I don't know. Like it was like, I, I felt like a lot of people kind of wanted him to fail tonight is the way I, 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 I felt that's what was happening. Um, it's also true. Like he didn't, he also didn't have a good game. Um, mind you, I don't think he also had anything to do. Like I had to look back on, yeah. at the stats and be like, hold on. Did, did Celta actually have like test him beyond that? Um, they had, Larson had five shots. Celta had a high volume of chances in the box, but not great chances. And I don't remember. I don't remember Kepa having really to do anything in this game. So um, he hasn't really been tested yet, but it's true. Like, you know, I don't think he had a good game either. I, I just thought like the criticism in, in some ways was a little bit over the top to me. Yeah. I mean, so part of it could be that people are so used to a six foot seven Thibaut Courtois, now <laughs> you have like what Kepa's probably six foot, six one. Yeah. And just, yeah, Thibaut's not going to go down in that instance against Larson, but uh, Kepa's just not as big. And I don't know. I think because you say, you said something along the lines of like people are overreacting and they wanted to see Kepa fail, but I was in the bucket of like, I, I want to see Kepa do well. And I came away with, the sensations as a, as the Spanish use, like I came up with this sensation that he wasn't as good as I hoped. Um, and like even little things where maybe people may not remember this, but um, it was when Cruz was on the field, it was late in the second half, the team were doing kind of some back passes. And one of the things I was really encouraged about Kepa or what I was excited about with him was his ability to play with the ball at his feet, but he made like a lofted pass centrally that Celta got a hold of Cruz then is like playing center back and you're, we got away with it, but I was just like, why make that pass? Yeah. Why loft it like that? Um, And so I don't know. I just, I didn't come away feeling great. (laughs) I'll be honest. Three of 10 long balls completed for him tonight. Um, I, and that's like, I, I wasn't as high on his distribution as you were. I, I'm actually I'm actually concerned about moments like that. I think there are I, I'm I'm actually concerned about those moments when we're being pressed and he has the ball and he has to make a quick decision. In some ways those actually worry me a little bit more than his his um shot stopping. But yeah, he'll get tested more. It may not be Getafe next next game, but it you know, it'll be there'll be a stretch where he he'll definitely be tested more. Yeah. Um so the goal gets disallowed. I that's another one. Like, I don't. I think maybe everyone just needs to calm down with that one too. Like people saying that. <laughs> I've already seen uh, 
I actually haven't checked my WhatsApp all night, apart from texting you. There's some unread messages from Diego. I'm almost sure <laughs> um, that there's probably something in there about like, oh, we can't win the league with you guys. Like that, that was he got fouled. He, the shirt was tucked. It's in the rules. <clears throat> so minutes later, Vinicius Jr. goes down injured. Uh, what were you feeling in that moment? You saw him grab the hamstring, and that's when you were like, oof. And Vinny never, I mean, knock on wood, never gets muscle injuries. And so that's when you're really concerned is he's getting a muscle injury here. Like, this could be a little bit more serious. I think it sounds like, given Carlo's press conference, it sounds like they took him off early enough that it shouldn't be too bad. And I think Ewan made the point on Twitter that, hey, after the Hatafe game, Real Madrid had three weeks off or, or something around that. So he should be fine. I bet he only misses one game. But, um, yeah, it was definitely a concern. And you start to think – that's when you start to think to yourself when, when that injury happens is, wow, yeah, this is what kind of everybody's been talking about is what happens when you get one injury in this 11 and how does it shape shift and how do the – replacements come on and perform because that's the big question no i don't think too many people doubt the starting 11 at this point and the midfield options but the question comes is once you get a few injuries and we've already seen um major injuries to players in player like militao courtois best in their positions now Vinny, another guy who's best in his position like any team's gonna suffer when they when they lose that type of quality but um the question becomes especially on the offense, like, can people step up? So I also think what what's true about our squad, Matt, is that we don't really have a system where we will always do like-for-like like subs. So we cater to our player strengths. So if you look at when Vinicius got injured, what is the most like-for-like like player on the bench? It's Brahim Diaz. But we brought on Joselu instead and just changed the formation. All of a sudden, Fran Garcia was a left winger. Kamavinga was playing elbow back. So that that's that's typically our solution to everything. Every plan B requires change in formation and a player playing out of position. And I don't... Look, a lot of people will blame Ancelotti for this. He's given the squad that he's given. He makes do. He defends the club's board publicly because that's what he has to do. Um... I'm sure he would like to have more like-for-like options off the bench. He doesn't right now. He also has terrible luck with the injury of Arda Goulart, which I think someone he was someone who was really, he was really high on in preseason, and he never got a chance to actually use him in the game yet. So that's the nature of the beast. I'm curious to know, like in that moment, would you have gone for Ibrahim Diaz? Because Ancelotti actually said after the game, "quote." I thought about bringing on Brahim, but I wanted to maintain a balance to avoid surprises. This squad is showing that it is a complete squad. Um, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah. So the point is, he thought about bringing on Brahim, wanted to maintain balance. What did you think? Were you, were you thinking it was going to be Brahim? I was thinking it was, was going to be Jose Lu just because of Carlo's preferences, uh, what we've seen up to this point. But what I didn't expect was for us to maintain. Yes, we, like you said, we did shape shift a little bit, but we still maintained. Um, yeah. And so I thought we would shift to a 4 3 3 and maybe see Rodrigo on the left, Fede or Bellingham on the right, um, or 4 2 3 1 with 
Kamavinga and Chuameni as the pivots, Bellingham in front, uh, up in front of them, and then Fede on the right, Rodrigo on the left. Like I thought we would shift that way, and it didn't happen. And um, I, I still, I, and I think Carlo got it right. I'll be honest because I like the fluidity of the diamond, and I just think it benefits so many players. And I think Rodrigo, especially, yes, he missed the penalty, but. I thought he had a really solid game and created so much, both from the right, from the left, from the middle. And he he gets a lot of freedom in this formation. But I thought once Jose Luque came in, he got even more freedom. And he was kind of everywhere. And he, we know how much he likes to cut in from the left, and he had more opportunity to do that once Jose Luque came in. And I, I think it worked for the most part. Uh, we We created chances. Uh, you think at the end of the half, that kind of awkward one where Jose Lu lets it go through his legs, Bellingham's a little bit surprised when it comes to him, and then Fede hits it. Um, I think that, I mean, that was a great opportunity. It, it was a little bit uh, unorthodox, but it was a great opportunity. And I think there were, obviously, Rodrigo had a couple where he just did one of his mazy runs, dribbled through the defense, and, and got some shots off. And I think... There was enough there for us today, definitely to win by more than one goal. So I think it's interesting you point that out um, and you bring up the fluidity. If you look at any given sequence, and I look, it's true. I think we had a lot of possession in and around Celta's box, like trying to break through, but it was hard. In the end, we had five shots in the box, not including the penalty. And I think despite the possession we had in good areas, it was tough to break breakthrough. Credit to Rafa Benitez and Celta Vigo. I thought they did a really good job of closing space. I actually was surprised a little bit of how aggressive they started the game offensively, but you know, I am also not too surprised, I guess, when I think about it. They're at home. It's their centenary year uh week hundred years ago today. Uh this week they were formed. It was a big week for them. They wanted to impress their fans, etc. So they started off pretty strong, um, but as the game wore on, I you know they didn't get ahead that much, but they closed a lot of space. Um, but I think it's interesting when you look at Ramjit's possession, especially in the first half when Chu Many and Kamavinga were still on the field. There were just uh, everyone was just there, like up front, and the, like you had Rudiger. And Alaba keeping a really high line. Fran Garcia was up way up the field. Carvajal was getting up. Then you had Fede Valverde and Camavinga just like basically in the half spaces. You had Bellingham in and around the box. And you had too many like literally stationed almost like as a 10 on the ball. He was so advanced. And there were really nice sequences of counterpressing where Celta would clear. Too many would be right there to sweep it back up and, and win possession back. We would go. But I just ultimately thought it was just there was just not enough space. Um and I think it was just hard uh, to to break to break through, and I think you got to give credit to Celta for that. Yeah, I think I agree. I think Benitez put together a nice game plan that worked pretty well for the first thirty minutes, especially. I thought they, I thought Celta pressed well. I thought, like you said, closed down space really well. Um, they were doing an. I was watching Bellingham quite a bit, and I. It's it'd be fun just to have a camera on him because he's making so many runs off the ball, like. First 20, 30 minutes, he barely got any touches, but he was 
making so many runs off the ball. And the team, like, again, credit to Celta, they really closed any passing lanes. So the team couldn't find him, and it would have been a difficult ball over the top to try and play him through. But just those runs forces a defender out of the way and moves defense and forces a defense to drop off. And so his runs create space for others. And so um, I think I think we did a nice job there in just with the off-ball movement and the fluidity like we've talked about. But yeah, I think Celta, Celta were really, I mean, it's what you expect of a, a Rafa Benitez side, tactically well-drilled. And um, they had some standout performance, like Oscar Mingesa, the former Barca guy, I thought he was really good to start the game. Um, gave Fran Garcia some trouble. Um, Larson, who we talked about, thought he was kind of a, a nuisance and a pest for our back line. Um, I think they started to fade, though, a little bit as the game wore on. And you talked about it, where Chuameni and Kamavinga just felt like they were gobbling everything up, that whenever Celta tried to transition, they were there. And then we just went right back down their throat. So, um, yeah, I think first 30 minutes or so, Celta were right in there. But then the game started to, the momentum really shifted in our favor. Yeah. Um, The Mingesa point I wanted to bring up, I think we can transition to that. I know it's been a hard start to the season for you because your arch nemesis, Chuameni, is having a good good season so far. And uh, Fran Garcia, your number two, is is playing every game. Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! I'm the one who publicly backed Fran Garcia like two years ago over Miguel Gutierrez when everybody was like fanboying Miguel Gutierrez. I said Fran Garcia. This is true. This is true. Remember your love for him originally. Never forget that. Um, so that I so the reason I bring this up is because I had actually. Uh, made a tweet a couple of days ago pointing out that I think a lot of people when they discuss Mendy versus Fran Garcia, but like who should start, they kind of label it at pin it as offense versus defense. And I thought it was a bit of a disservice to, to Fran Garcia because I actually think he can defend. But the reason why he can be poor defensively is not because he individually is not a good defender, but I think it's because he leaves a lot of space behind him. Yeah, he's pushing up. Yeah. yeah, he's pushing up. So in that in this game, you saw that. And you look at the numbers. Mingesa had 11 crosses today. And so they were taking advantage of him getting in behind that space. And I thought one of the issues was that Kamavinga, who was the guy who was... I mean, it's funny because last season's left-back cameos, it kind of ingrained in him on how to play that role. So even when he's not playing left back, he go he knows how to go there and cover for Fran Garcia. So you had a whole situation in the first half when Vinicius left where Camavinga was everywhere, but mostly he was covering for Fran Garcia behind. And Fran Garcia would go play left wing, Camavinga would drop left back. Uh, but also it wasn't like clearly defined. So like Camavinga would also be in the middle of the field or like in the box. And sometimes there was no one covering for Fran Garcia. And I think that's part of the reason why it was uh, a little bit problematic in transition at times. There was a lot of space in behind. Sometimes Kamavinga was tracking, sometimes he wasn't. And I thought that put a lot of uh, pressure on Chu many shoulders because not only was he asked to cover a lot of ground, but he was also um, himself asked to distribute, be the primary source of distribution. And he had, I think, 98, 98 98.4. 
100% passing accuracy in this game. Uh, and I thought he actually had a real case to continue playing the entire game, but we'll get to that yeah. later. Um, well, I, I did want to ask you, over this three-game sample size, one of the questions we've been asked in the past is, like, without Kruse Modric, who who handles the buildup and how does that look? How have you felt about our buildup with this midfield four and, and the structure and what's been kind of your takeaway so far? Yeah, I liked it. I've I've liked it. Um, I think somebody asked us this in the Dallas podcast where yeah. uh, they said they asked like if Cruz isn't there, who's going to be basically the Cruz? And I think we we both agreed. I think that there is no other Cruz um, until we die, probably. But you know, we have capable ball handlers and capable distributors, and too many is going to have to take that. I think on his shoulders, and I think he's done that well. What I do think is that you lose a bit of the long-range passing um, that Alaba and Rudiger can bring from the back, but you also gain the ability to drive forward. You remember that yeah. that sequence where Chu many carries the ball through traffic and then does the Rabona? Yeah. Like, you gain you gain more sequences like that, I think, like the Fede drive forward. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just a different kind of ball progression. I agree. I think I agree. And I think even Chuameni did a great job with it. I thought even Kamavinga and Falverde did a great job with it. I thought kind of under the radar. I don't know. I didn't see that much on this, but I thought Fede Valverde was phenomenal tonight. Like I thought mm-hmm. he was really, really good. Um, he was kind of all over the place. He played on the right side. He played on the left side. Um, he had a couple really good drives into midfield and combinations uh, into the box with other players. Um, he had some nice, like even splitting through ball passes, one with the outside of his foot in the second half. Um, and so, yeah, I think, and I think it's a testament to him that Carlo wanted to keep him on. Uh, obviously he had different midfielders he could choose from when the Cruce Modric sub came around and he opted to keep Valverde on the pitch. And I think that's a testament to how well he was playing and he's just, he brings so much to the field and he's so versatile that I think he he's he becomes a guy that Carlo just trusts implicitly and want and wants him in the lineup no matter what. The only thing he's like I'll... the Di Maria of this of this team. It's a good parallel. Different kind of player, but kind of the same. Um the only thing that I didn't like about Fetty in this game was his long range passing was pretty bad. Uh, every time he would try a switch or like a long range pass, it was just terribly hit and usually over hit. But he worked hard. And like, I think people will forget about this game because I think people will associate this game with a bad performance in many ways. Um, but I, again, I, this is one of those classic away games. Balaidos is not an easy place to play. And it's against a very, very defensively compact side that has very little space that they give away. And so it's going to just be harder for everyone. Even like, like if we're being really honest with Bellingham, like I would have liked to have more touches on the ball for him. You yeah. mentioned the stuff he did off the ball, but like he didn't really have a great game outside the goal, which it's not a knock on him. It's just like, it's great that he can, he can have that moment. Um, one of the greatest signs of one of the best signs of greatness to me is like, you can have like a game where you're not doing anything and then pop up and score. 
so many great players in the past have have been like that. So it's just that it was. Yeah. I think it was a very difficult game for everyone. Yeah, and I think another credit to Celta, and I think this is definitely direction from Benitez was they were almost they had two players cover shadowing Bellingham, so two players were basically blocking off the passing lane to Bellingham and kind of hovering right above him so that he couldn't get any passes. So I think they clearly targeted and tried to limit his influence and his on-ball impact. And I think playing in the number 10 role is, it's it's fun for any player, but it's also, you have to be very disciplined and you have to be okay with having limited touches because you're sitting a little, you're sitting higher. So you have to trust your team to get the ball to you. And you're sitting in these little pockets of space where if it's not, if the pass isn't played right on, then you have to recycle your run and go somewhere else because then it's covered. So it's, it's especially in today's day and age, it's a difficult position to play. Um, and when there's not many transition opportunities, like there were tonight, there weren't many moments where Bellingham could take the ball and go run at a retreating defense. Um, it makes it all that much harder where you just kind of have to be patient and, be able to be okay with not having that many touches. And for really good players, that's hard to do. I think it's really hard to like not want to always be on the ball and be really impactful. I think that's something that Messi does incredibly well is that he's totally fine with just walking around waiting and waiting and waiting until he gets the ball. And then he makes his impact. It's not, he's not kind of, that was the big criticism. I remember Chavi or maybe it was some other coach criticizing uh, Ricky. Uh, what was his last name? Ricky Puge. Who? Uh, Pooch, yeah. Who? Um, he would always he would go wherever the ball would go because he always wanted to be on the ball, and that's not the best way to to play the game. And like when you're kind of younger and indisciplined, like that's the way you see it. But and you always want to get it on the ball to be impactful. But it actually you can make more of an impact. Um, just by holding your position or just by being a little bit more disciplined and being patient. Think about also like how much that opens up for your team if you have a player that has that much gravity and pull on the defense where they have to have two players like monitoring where he is. Think about all the other space that can open up for other players. I mean, obviously, Vinicius was not in the field today. Um, And, you know, we, we... we may be one striker away, but if you have like three players like that in the squad, and I mean, Rodrigo himself is an absolute genius of a dribbler, brilliant in tight spaces. When you have multiple players like this where the defenses have to to shift their attention to, I think it's really hard to defend, especially if you have a, such a fluid fluid team who understands uh, the concept of, of opening space and dragging players away. It's a... Uh, Again, I don't know if we necessarily saw that tonight because tonight, you know, it was it was it was a difficult game, but just a general point. Yeah. And the I saw a graphic come out about last season's um best dribblers. And it was like the top ten dribblers in the world. And Vinicius, Rodrigo, and Bellingham were all on that list. Mm. So think about that for a second. Like our offensive yes, we don't have a striker, but our offensive three the people we have in the final third are three of the best players in the world at breaking down a player off the dribble and just creating their own space and so 
when you reframe it like that, and kind of when you think about just how devastating that can be, it's a totally different looking attack, but it's just so many guys that are so good off the dribble. I think it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's fun. Like it, it, it makes for a fun attack, even though you don't have a striker. Rodrigo last season, uh, 10th in all of the five big leagues, leagues combined in uh, successful take-ons. Yeah. Like total. And he actually, yeah. he wasn't the starting in the every top game. 10. Yeah. yeah. And tonight he had eight. Eight? Some, oh, wow. I didn't see that. Yeah. So, some of his dribbles tonight were insane, actually. I think he just yeah. ultimately ran. It's like he can't cook the whole team. Like he would take <laughs> on like two or three. And then the, he would just run out of room. The one that I... I circled back on uh, which one was it? It was the non-penalty call. So I think 10th tenth minute, he goes down. To me, he kind of mm. was trying to make contact. I think if he would have just kept going, I think he could have scored there. Do you remember? Well, even that other one, um, that other one where... Can I lose you? Oh, sorry. No, I'm here. That other one where... Um, he dribbled like two or three guys inside the box and then cut it last minute. A guy goes sliding past him and he's going to shoot it with his left foot and last minute slide tackle to block it from a Celta defender. Like that one was guaranteed goal if, if he got the shot off and it was that it comes up from him dribbling three guys and kind of the right half space. So yeah, I think he's, we need him to have, kind of a, a stellar year and I think he's started the season really well. Yes, the goal he's only got the one goal right now, but I think he's he started the season on the right footing. So most people feel that his best position is on the left wing. Um I wonder I think I think he prefers to have more he says he likes the, middle. the number ten the most. Yeah, yeah, he likes to be in the middle. Like you would think, if there's any time for him to go to the left, it's when Vinicius leaves the field. But he didn't. I mean, I don't. I'm sure that was also by design by the coach. But he seems to enjoy like the fluidity of being unpredictable with his runs and kind of roaming around a little bit. Yeah. And you know, he had dribbles on the right, on the left, in the middle. Um, I did want to ask you this though. Could you imagine this game if uh, if it was like Ferland Mendy playing left back? Because we we honestly needed some kind of presence attacking wise on the left, and Fran Garcia was providing that. Yeah, and it just even when Fran doesn't get the ball, he's a threat because of how like people know how fast he is. Yeah, so you have to be cognizant of that as a defender and just kind of make sure you give yourself enough space. Otherwise, he'll burn you, or you, you can't just you so you don't have that same type of threat with Mendy. Um, and it just feels a little bit more clunky with, with Mendy on playing. If he were to be occupying that position in that space in today's type of game, basically being a left winger. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, okay. So was there anything else from the first half that we didn't really touch on? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, his role varied throughout this game, Kamavinga, but um, him and too many both I thought were really good. I like to start the second half. 
it was a bit of a double pivot in a four four one one kind of deal. And him and Chu Mani were in the midfield together. And I thought they both looked pretty good. Just like very commanding presences. I thought there were moments where Kamavinga maybe could have done a little bit better with his with his marking, but he had a couple of really good defensive interventions. Um I overall, like it it was more good than bad. The one that sucks out like he he could have done better was one that he he stopped tracking Mingus on one of the first half things and then first half transition attacks and he gets cooked by Bamba on the wing in the second half. Um but that that's about it. Other than that, I thought he was great and Chu Many was fantastic as as we mentioned. Um should we get to the subs? Yeah, I guess the only other thing I would say on that is I've been pleasantly surprised at how well the coverage has been for players in that midfield diamond. Um, whether it be for fullbacks or for just their fellow midfield partners. Um, I think they've picked it up really quickly. And like Kamavinga and Fede Valverde have more often than not been in the right spots. And then Chuameni is just making, it feels like all the right decisions, like when to press, when to drop, which spaces to occupy much better than, uh, than last season. And so I, I've been, that's been a pleasant surprise for me. It's just like how well it's already functioned three games in with a new system and formation. Second half, Matt, was actually much better than the first half in terms of control, in terms of limiting Salta, um, Salta's transition attacks. And I also want to give a shout out to Rudiger and Alaba. I think defensively they've been good, but they're, they're, passing especially Alaba remains really really good I'm going I'm going to be writing about it this week this weekend next week whatever but uh I've been really impressed with Alaba on the ball and Rudiger's filled in really nicely so far and Danny Carvajal dare to say third straight good game um there was one in the second half where he had like three defensive interventions in a matter of 10 seconds Bamba takes him on and Carvajal Stands his ground in the box, wins it. The ball bounces around. He wins it again, and then it comes back on the wing again, and he wins it again. Um, he's just—he was also really composed under pressure. Control was nice. Defensive reads were good. This is another good Carvajal performance. Again, the back line has remained sturdy. The only one who kind of is often not there right now is Fran Garcia, who's playing as an attack basically. But those three have have really stood their ground. I thought. Yeah, Carvalho even beat some beat somebody for pace tonight, which was a nice uh, nice thing to see. Yeah, he's been. It's three games, obviously, as as you've mentioned multiple times. It's only, uh, and Ewan's mentioned multiple times. It's only one game per week, so yeah. we'll see if this can be sustained. But no, it's really encouraging. Um, and. Yeah, I agree with you. Like Alaba and Rudiger put in a shift. Did did Celta even have a shot in the second half? Like I can't even think of one opportunity um, that they put together. Not a, not a single dangerous opportunity. So that's what I meant. That's what I meant when I said earlier that the momentum really started to shift. And we just even before Chuameni and Kamavinga came out, they were eating everything up that spit out. Like we would attack, and then the ball would kind of spit out outside of Celta's box and they would eat it up. They would get there, recoup and just spread the ball wide again. So um, yeah, I think we, I think we looked really good. 
So I'm just uh, sharing my screen for those of you guys on YouTube here. I just wanted to show this because I, I like checking this after the game. It's a sofa score attacking momentum. And uh, you can, so Celta's the green line. You can see that the first half was, they, they had a lot more. Second half, they basically flatlined here. Um, and if you go look at the expected goals, 1.6, obviously that, like, almost half of that is Rodrigo's penalty. And uh, so, again, you can kind of see we did not create many great chances despite a lot of our possession. What's the big circle uh, for Celta over there? This is Mingesa, 31st minute. This is uh, the cross comes over and uh, Mingesa gets to the far post. This is the one I said earlier, Kamavinga didn't do a great job uh, of tracking yeah. him. And Fran Garcia was marking a player in here. Alaba was shipped to here. Rudiger was going out, out wide. Um but yeah, they had like a decent volume of chances in the box, but not great chances. Nothing dangerous, though, yeah. Yeah, nothing dangerous. Uh, yeah. So, um, the Cruz and Mordor subs. <clears throat> what, did you see uh, a big difference when they came in for Chumani and Kamavinga? I don't know that I would say a big difference because I don't think Chuomeni or Kamavinga played poorly. Um, I actually thought they were both pretty good, Chuomeni especially. Um, I just think it brought exactly what we expected. It brought a little bit more control, a little bit more composure. Um, it just felt like the at that point in the game, the momentum was all on our side and it was it felt like it was coming anyways. And then you insert these two guys in there and... They just add a little bit more precision on the ball, uh, a little bit more com- a little bit more comfort and control, and and it just kind of continued to to push us in the right direction. But I don't know that it was like a major uplift or kind of revolutionary um, substitution or anything like that. Yeah, I thought it was part of the course. I mean, I I was worried we'd lose some defensive coverage with Cruz and Mortage coming in. Um, but I, I think we, we controlled the game regardless and it was fine. We saw it out. So that was fine. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the things in the second half, I think were just kind of true in the first half as well. Um, but we just were better at it. Like our counter, we had good counter pressing sequences again. Like if you even think about the corner that led to Bellingham's, Goal like that was on the on the back of waves of good counter pressing where we kept winning the ball in front of Celta's box. We kept on pressing. We kept on uh, trying to knock on the door. And actually, like it's funny. I mean, too many was off the field at that point. But our aerial threats when Jose Lu is on the field is actually pretty decent on set pieces because too yeah. many is actually really good on set pieces, Rudiger. like getting Rudiger. Um, then I mean, Militao's obviously gone, but but Jose Luchu, many Rudiger, like it's just it's just it's solid. Um, I have a couple like crazy stats I can throw at you, but I I want to see if there's anything else in this game you wanted to break down. Um, well, uh, just on the Rodrigo penalty, mm-hmm. um, I think it was Jude that played him the through ball, right? I think it was Jude who got the ball, yeah. picked it up, and turned again to the point you made. Not many touches, but when he does get it, he's so impactful and he's so decisive. Um, and so he picked it up, and that dangerous number 10 spot was able to turn and threaded the ball through. 
Um, I thought Rodrigo did really well to to beat his man and then take that extra touch to get it by the goalkeeper and draw the foul. Um, I wanted him to take the penalty kick. I thought he earned it with with that play. Um, just a bummer that he couldn't couldn't convert it. And Ancelotti, I mean, he was livid. I think it's just because back to back. I mean, obviously Vinicius missed in Dallas, and then this miss with the two young guys, and you got other players on the field like Modric, Alaba, even Jose Lu. I think he picked up the ball at one point. Um, those are guys that probably are used to converting it day in, day out, not day in, day out, but pretty consistently and have done it before. Um, so I don't know if Ancelotti was livid just because he didn't want Rodrigo to take it and then he ended up missing. Um, but yeah, who do you, I mean, who do you have taken it if after all this? Okay. So this is, I can't believe we left it for this late in the podcast. I forgot to, we, this was a big talking point in this game. Uh, Rodrigo's missed penalty. So I think, this goes all the way back. I'd like to take it back to in a previous press conference where Ancelotti talks about this is and obviously after Vinicius missed his penalty in preseason, Ancelotti said it can be between uh Rodrigo, Vinicius, Modric, um who else did he mention? Uh I have the quote here in front of me, I think. Just give me a second. Bear with me, it'll be worth it. I want to get the names right. Uh, Rodrigo. Where did Coco? Anyways, Jose Lu, I think. Jose Lu, I think, was another one. Cruz and Modric. Um, like, he mentioned, like, all these guys. like and And he said it'll depend game to game. So... I don't think there was a decision before the game. Okay, guys, excuse my clumsiness. I have the full quote in front of me here now, okay? <laughs> all right. Uh, so he said they're all trying and training, taking penalties. Vinicius, Rodrigo, Valverde, and Modric are the ones who are used to it. And in each game, we'll choose what we think is best. Mm. So I don't think there was a uh, an idea or like a, a a confirmed hierarchy heading into this game on who's supposed to take it. I I wasn't sure who was going to take it. I my initial thought was like, okay, Rodrigo won the penalty. Rodrigo took some last year. Um, it'll be him. But then I saw Jose Luz standing over, and I was like, oh well, it looks like Jose Luz taking it. But then Rodrigo ended up taking it. Rodrigo missed it. Scene cuts to Ancelotti furious. Ancelotti said after the game, the reason he was angry is because he actually wanted Modric to take it. He said that he told Alaba to tell Modric to take it, but apparently the message didn't get there in time. So don't ask me how long it takes to get a message there. It's, I don't know if he's what is he's using a fax machine or he can literally just yell it. And it didn't. It doesn't seem to be that difficult to me to transmit. <laughs> In a message, especially when there's time for VAR to check it and there's a delay. So I'm not sure what happened there. I'm not sure if Modric and Rodrigo had a different decision on the field. Maybe Modric was like, do you want it? And Rodrigo was like, yes. I don't know. I'm just making this up now. So I don't know what scenario led to Ancelotti telling the team for Modric to take it and that message somehow not getting put into action. That, that part is fuzzy to me. But... 
like I will just say like in a vacuum, I saw a lot of people who were very opportunistic that Rodrigo should not have taken it. Of course, they're going to say that Rodrigo missed a penalty. There's all kinds of opportunistic takes that come out in this scenario. If another player misses it, they would have said the same thing about him and, and, and et cetera. Uh, I also think it's totally fair to think Mordic should be the one taking the penalty because of his experience. Same with Cruz. Cruz would probably be num- my number one, to be quite honest. Uh, but I also kind of got the fact that, well, they just kind of entered the field. They weren't on, they weren't maybe warmed up that well. Maybe they, we've seen it go badly in the past when a player comes on just to take a penalty. Maybe that went, you know, went into it. Uh, but again, it turns out it was just that Mordic was supposed to take it and somehow that message didn't get passed on, which is confusing to me. Yeah. And I, I mean, going back to the expected goals in this one, I mean, that was a goal for Rodrigo if, if he wasn't taken down. So I think it's totally valid to count the full penalty value um, in our expected goals for this one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't know what happens next. Uh, to me, though, I I would trust Cruz Moric the most if they're on the field. Alaba's another great shout. Yeah, uh, I would trust Jose Lu. I think. Yeah, I would too. Bellingham. Yeah. Give Give Pichichi Van Bellingham his goal. Yeah, seriously. Pat, I would just keep that at this stats. point. <laughs> um. Yeah. So like, I I don't know. Like I. Look, Rodrigo, last season, we all would have given it to him. This yeah. was his first penalty he took since the Brazil World Cup miss. Oh, it was. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, great save, though. Yeah, it was. Um, okay, so there are some interesting things. Have you read the uh, post-game pieces from Ewan and Sam on the on the website no, yet? not yet. All right, great. I like when you don't see them so that you're not surprised. <laughs> I always learn new stuff. So... As a reminder, everybody, go to managingwidget.com after the game and you get immediate analysis. So, uh, actually, no, it was uh, this one here. I'm just sharing my screen here. So, Sam leverages three stats piece. Kepa is the first Real Madrid goalkeeper to keep a clean sheet on his debut away from home this century. It's wow. such a specific oh. stat. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, well, that's very specific. Uh, how impressive is it actually? So uh, these are all, this is the list of goalkeepers who have not been able to achieve this feat on their away from home Lucas debut. <laughs> Diego Lopez, Keylor Navas, Kiko Casilla, Lucas Zidane, Thibaut Courtois, and Andre Luna. Bang. Uh, also, away wins at Balaidos, 15th of the century. That's more than any other away stadium we've had uh, W in, which is mm. pretty interesting because Balaidos is yeah, such a difficult place to play. play. Yeah. So I just thought I'd share that with you. Yeah. That's good stuff. Uh, anything else you want to cover? Um, we've got to talk about the goal. Okay, let's do it. I think uh, I think Jose Lu deserves credit. We haven't talked about him at all, and I think he deserves credit here because he's the one that basically flicks the ball on, connects with the Cruz corner, mm. flicks the ball on, and then Bellingham, just unbelievable. Like, just pure will, determination, like, all those intangibles. Like, he just wanted it more, got 
got in front of them, got in front of his mark and diving header, uh, great goal. And I just started laughing when it went in. I was like, Jude Bellingham, this guy is what, what a start to the season. Uh, I love that you brought up Jose Lu on that point. That cross comes in right before the corner and he does so well to get, I mean, this is why he's one of the best aerial threats in the entire league. Um, so he does his job as a target man in that situation, tries to cut it across goal. And then Cruz hits the corner, comes in. The commentator, I think it was Stuart Robson, made this point that Bellingham actually is initially offside. He recognizes it and makes a concerted effort to get back onside to meet the header, mm. um, which is another kind of IQ thing. I this is I, I have to um, share my screen. I hope that it doesn't lag too much. Did you see uh, the celebration? Where Alaba's punching Bellingham? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh shoot, I can't post this on YouTube because of copyright. Um, but anyways, <laughs> Alaba needs to <laughs> relax. Um, so yeah, I'm just gonna do a quick scan of my notes. Uh, I think we talked about everybody. Yeah. We did. Um, no Brahim cameo today. Surprise. Yeah, a little disappointing, but mm. I think, I don't know. I think it's going to be tough going for him. He's going to have to take those spare 10 minutes here and there and make magic out of it like he did last game. That's the only way he's going to. And and with one game a week right now, it, it's going to be hard. But as the volume of games increases, I think we'll see more of him. I'd be shocked if we don't see a lot of him uh, against Getafe because of Vinicius not being there. And yeah. I mean, he, I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not saying he'll start, but I think he'll come off the bench at least in that game. Yeah. Uh, the thing with Brahim is that I feel like, you know, that, that sequence that everyone went crazy for in the Almeria game where he dribbles past one guy, puts the ball on the other side of the other guy. So beats two players and then does like a half. It he he's at a shooting angle, but then he tries to pass it to Jose Lu, yeah. who's like it's just it's kind of a blind pass. Uh, I thought that was a great example of the Brahim Diaz experience, <laughs> where it's like he's clearly talented, but I don't think he makes the best decisions at the end. Yeah. Um. But I, I, I'd still I like players like that. He can be a spark, like though. Yeah. He can be a spark like that. Yeah. 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 I still like players like that because I think the intention is in the right place. It's to be proactive and make things happen. Yeah. But like that compared to like Asensio would kind of come on and just not influence play. He would mm-hmm. come on and score the goal, produce the assist, but he wouldn't yeah. really influence play and build up. I think Brahim will probably be the opposite. Maybe he won't score or assist as much, but he'll come on and be a spark and like ignite yeah. play and influence our game. Yeah. Make his presence known. Yeah. That's important. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, so I just wanted to give a listen, the listeners a heads up. I mean, it feels like a Sunday night right now <laughs> uh, because I'm just so used to doing these post game pods to see you on Sunday night and not Friday night. So we have a whole weekend of no Real Madrid games, but of course there's a, there's a bunch of other games this weekend. Um, Bear with uh, our coverage on the Rubiales thing. So 
Kanita did a great job of summarizing everything with the whole Rubial situation last night. Of course, since last night, so much has, for lack of a better word, gone to shit. This shameless bastard has embarrassed himself even more, and he needs to go. And uh, Kanita and Yash are working on getting everything ready like as accurately as possible and just try to formulate... Um, not only their position, but also just to summarize everything, it's a lot of work. So just a lot of, I want to give a shout out to those two who are doing thankless work covering covering all this, this shambolic mess. And uh, no, I, I mean, I'm stating the obvious again. I, there's no, I'm not going to go into it too deeply now, but just the fact that the absolute shamelessness of everyone in that room clapping for everything he was saying today was disgusting, including from both the men's and women's coaches uh, who were there. So great on every female player who came out and said, we are not playing until this guy goes great on many men's player, formers and former and current such as Isco, Borja Iglesias, David De Gea, Iker Casillas off the top of my head, but I wish there was more. I, I, I think more, more men need to come out and step out and be vocal about this. Um, this guy has no business running any federation. Quite frankly, this guy has no business running anything or working anywhere, um, but certainly should not be running the show at, at the federation level. So so thank you, Kanita and Yash, for, for covering this for us. And uh, shout out to you guys. Uh, also on the website, plenty of coverage, plenty of analysis. Matt, do you have anything to plug? Any big picture segments coming up? Um. Probably not this week since we we did the post game uh, tonight, but mm. uh, player ratings will be out shortly for today's game. Cool. Uh, so I'll drop a big column I think in the next few days, working on something. And uh, on Wednesday we have a live call over on Patreon.com/slash Man and June. On Thursday we have a mailbag. On Friday I think big picture with Matt, and I think Jose and I are also doing a preview show for the Fetafe game. That's all over on patreon.com slash We hope to see you inside. Matt, this was fun. I'm glad we broke this down together. And let's hope for another W in the Hatafe game. Thanks for chatting, buddy. Take care. Yep. Thanks, Kian. Sports Social Podcast Network.